Amen. Our reading from God's Holy Word comes from Psalm 11, a psalm to the choir master, a psalm of David. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, His eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but His soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur, and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. Father, as we now attend to this, your word, on the final Sunday of this year, we would ask that you would give to us the spectacles of faith, that the Holy Spirit would come and would show to us from this, your word, what the life of faith really looks like for Christians in time where crisis is it's seeming at every turn where the foundations of our worlds are shaken and rocked, where we do not seem to be able to gain a footing because the mountains, even them, are falling into the depths of the sea. Lord, would you teach us to have our hopes set on you today? And would you show us through the power of the Holy Spirit how to do that? And would you then guide us in that knowledge into wisdom, so that we might close this year and walk in the one to come with the eyes of faith leading us as we go. Hear this prayer, O Father, through the mediation of the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray it. Amen. Well, it was this psalm just a couple of months ago that caught my eye. I was searching actually for a particular verse, and I knew it was in the Psalms, but I couldn't quite place where or which psalm, and you had that memorized section, but you're, you're like, I think it's in the early part of the Psalms, I'm not totally sure, and then the magic of the internet helped me. I typed in the, the verse, and oh, Psalm 11, yes, up pop Psalm 11, yes, that's where that verse comes from. It was verse 3 in the text that's before us. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? I was searching for that verse to respond to an email from someone who has been viewing our live stream as a uh, church for the last six or seven months or so, not a member of this local congregation, but viewing and worshiping with us, attending faithfully uh, through live stream, and he had uh, been engaging with me on a series of, of emails asking some questions about how a Christian should engage in the time in which we live. 
uh, walking through all of the challenges that we have faced over uh, the year 2020. A lot of people have asked those questions. What is a Christian to do in the nation that we live in, in the context of a virus running rampant, with strife and division, with deception, with bombs that go off on Christmas morning? What, what do we make of the time in which we live, and how should a Christian re- respond? How should he or she uh, walk? Well, in my email, I wanted to simply let this person know that the question she had asked about how a Christian should respond during a time such as this is a question that the Bible asks. It's a question that God's people have asked over the, over the centuries, over the millennia, going back to even Psalm 11. Uh, David, in this context, seeking um, the Lord's face in some circumstance where apparently his own life is being threatened, where the one who speaks to him here in Psalm 11 speaks of the fear and the dangers and the travails that are all around him. It's a dark night and he anticipates much disaster. I think one of the things as we look at this text together in how David addresses the, the swirling concerns of the moment in which he lives is to ask the question, who is, who is speaking to David in this text? I don't know if you noticed this when we were reading it earlier, but there's quotes beginning at the end of verse 1 with that phrase, flee like a bird to the mountain. And those quotes close at the end of verse 3. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? It appears that David is in um, conversation with someone because notice how the text begins. In the Lord I take refuge. It's a statement of tremendous faith. Here is David saying, here's where I stake my claim. Here's where I plant my flag. My safety, my refuge, my place of protection is in Yahweh or in the Lord. He uses the covenant name in this context of Psalm 11. Now, some commentators uh, believe that David is actually having a kind of conversation with himself in this psalm. Uh, You and I probably know these kinds of conversations uh, with ourselves, uh, where we are firmly rooted here, but the internal operations of our heart and soul seem to be somewhere else. Our minds are saying, I trust in the Lord, and our hearts are racing ahead of us saying, no, you don't. Is it possible that David is speaking to himself? Part of the reason some commentators believe that to be the case is that he refers there in verse 1 in that language of, can you say to my soul? So he's speaking to some internal awareness, the very center of his being, as if David is speaking to David here. Some part of him is speaking to another part of him, and he notices a disjuncture within his soul. Well, I don't actually believe the commentators who suggest that are accurate or right in in that regard. I think the statement of faith at the beginning, in the Lord I take refuge, is indeed David's disposition. And so the question again is raised, who is it that he's speaking to? Well, it's good to know this. He's not speaking to an enemy or someone who wants to do him harm. Because that's what you may think. It's like, who are you to say to my soul, flee like a bird? This seems like someone he's in disagreement with. 
And so the question will be, is this an enemy? Someone who's wanting to deceive him or somebody who's wanting to do him harm? Well, it doesn't appear that way because if you look at the text, notice the person speaking refers to the wicked who he wants to protect David from. Flee like a bird to your mountain, for behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string. So it's not someone who's an enemy or a wicked person who wants to do David harm. Instead, how the text reads, I think most plainly, is that this is some friend. This is some close confidant. This may be a right-hand man advisor to David in the midst of his rule and in the midst of his kingdom, who has some intel on things that are going on in the kingdom. And as he calculates and considers the dire circumstances, his advice or direction to David, what he advances upon him is that he needs to flee like a bird to the mountain. At any point as he stands on his palace veranda, an arrow could come in the middle of the night to kill him, to wound him. To bring him low. It's as if the advisor or friend or confidant here is saying, David, you need to know that the writing is on the wall. Your institutions have been infiltrated with corruption. People that you once trusted, you can no longer trust. The wicked are at every turn. The foundations of the world are corrupt. What can the righteous do? Well, here's what the righteous can do. You can get out of Dodge. That's the word. Flee to the mountain like a bird. Get out of here. Go find a cave. Hunker down in there. Let this blow over. Try to be as safe as you possibly can be. Now, David was familiar with caves, if you remember something of his history. David is a man, whether he was running from Saul or running from his son Absalom, spent a lot of time in caves. When you read the narrative of David's life, you think this man lived more in a cave than in the palace. That's for sure. He was always on the run with evil, it seemed like, always around him. And so this advisor comes to him, and it seems out of his kind-hearted concern for David, we want to see you live for another day. I want you to survive. And so he says to him, get out of Dodge, escape to the mountain." Now, as we look at this text together, as I've sort of set up a little bit of the deliberation and conversation that's taking place in Psalm 11, I want you to see why I think this is very important as we conclude 2020 and look to 2021, why the themes of this psalm and the lay of the land of this psalm is so important. There's a lot of voices making a lot of advisings in one way, shape, or another. It's increasingly challenging to know what you ought to do in clear conscience before the Lord, the right way to act, the right way to respond, the right thing to, to say or not say, to do or not do. And it can become very confusing, especially when you have kind-hearted people giving advice in your ear that your soul's a little at odds with. It can easily create division question over what are you seeing? What is real out there? What is the real threat or, or imagined threat? What is this world that I'm living in as the foundations seem to be falling, as misinformation seems to be coming everywhere, as a bomb goes off on Christmas morning in my hometown? What am I to do? How should I respond? Well, the first thing I want to note is that 
safety, security, self-protection, which is the, the impetus of this advice that's coming to David here in Psalm 11, is, is first of all a natural instinct of human nature. C.S. Lewis makes that argument in Mere Christianity that you'll find within you, if you hear someone crying for help, maybe drowning in a river, you'll have two things rise up within you. One is, I should go help them. The other is, I might drown. I think I'll stay on the shore. Right? You'll feel both of those two things inside of you. It's an instinct it's actually in, in us to protect life, to care for life. Notice those instincts are, I want to go care for someone who needs help. I want to care for myself who might need help if I go into that water. Notice both of those are actually after care. They just happen to be in, against oneself over and against another. And that's where our predicaments often come. But a concern for safety, even self-protection, is something the Bible over and over asserts is a wise thing to be concerned about. Um, safety as a matter of wisdom is something that, well, something we should, we should regularly consider as, as, as important. I mean, for instance, on Christmas morn, my son, Knox, opened up a gift from his grandmother and it was a skateboard. He was thrilled. He was absolutely thrilled. Very, very excited. I saw future medical bills when I saw the skateboard. I thought, I'm not putting enough money in my HSA. I've got to do something for this year to come. Um, and then I said something. I mean, he gets it out, and he's so excited, and I should be feigning my celebration at that point. That's what the moment dictated. Um, but I wasn't. I just said, I don't want to ever see you on that thing without a helmet. And, and my mom, who was right next to me, put her hand on my, on my leg and said, he hasn't finished opening up the other part of this gift, Nate. And of course, the other part of the gift was a helmet for the skateboard. And my father heart was at ease when I saw that. And, and so we could look at that and say, is my mom overreacting? Am I overreacting? Well, no, there's good evidence that you fall on a skateboard, you get hurt and bad things happen to your head and, and other parts of your body. And we'd like to pr pr keep that from happening. Now, here's what's interesting is wisdom comes with knowing the measure of threats of the things in which you're engaged in and what your how you're living, where you're living, in what environment you're living in, being able to rightly engage the threats is a part of the natural protective instinct of wisdom as it's cultivated over the course of our lives. If I was a 12-year-old boy opening up the skateboard, I wouldn't be worried about um, my health either. But I'm not that, that boy anymore. And the maturity or growth and wisdom as you get older, right? Everybody knows it. as you get older, it's like death is everywhere. Death is everywhere, right? You're just like, should we go on the airplane? I don't know. Should we, should we get in the car? I don't know. I mean, you know, bad things could happen. Like bad things are everywhere. And what's happened? You've lived a long time. You see a lot more. You see a lot more threats. And there's an evidence of wisdom that says taking care, being safe and secure, and actually, you know, boundering uh, a little bit more is an evidence of maturity. Now, in addition to that, safety and a concern for safety is actually not just a matter of maturity and wisdom. It's also a matter of morality, especially when we look at it in terms of the Bible. There are some times where we would say, 
Safety in this context is not just an option. It is the right thing to do. It is morally appropriate. It might, we might even say it's morally demanded. We're often in this case at a baseline level when we are called to care for others specifically. Especially, say, parents for children. I say one of the hardest or some of the hardest cases pastorally I've ever been involved in in terms of care have been those situations where young children are not being well cared for by parents or, or guardians. And there's a whole category of criminal activity that arises when you have a neglect of a child and the basic sustenances of life are removed from them or not provided to them or they are placed in the context as we would sometimes put a child endangerment and one can come under a criminal offense for a lack of care, safety, or security of, of another. Now it's true that between cultures and over the course of, of history, there's, there's a lot of different uh, rubrics or continuums from what care and provision look like. But if we're thinking of food and water and shelter and some basic things, we would say those should be provided by those who are responsible for others who can't provide for themselves. You know, our Westminster Shorter Catechism actually speaks to this. And sometimes we, we miss this when we do some of our reflecting theologically. But when you look at the Ten Commandments in the Shorter Catechism, in fact, if you were to turn to questions 68 and 69, which deal with the Sixth Commandment, Thou shalt not kill, uh, question 69 tells us that it's forbidden for us to take a life unjustly. That's what the commandment, Thou shalt not murder, is intending to say, but it also says in question 68, what's required in that commandment? And it gives us a positive injunction. And the positive injunction is, you're not just okay by not taking a life unjustly. That's part of it. That's the negative. The positive is, all lawful means by which to promote life among yourself, in yourself, and among others is to be promoted. All lawful means is to be promoted. To promote others' lives, to, to care for them, and to protect your own life. All lawful means. You, you can see in that a prizing of, of security. Now, why do I go on about this? Well, I go on about this because the advisor here in Psalm 11, at face value, is giving us a common sense instruction. It's a part of the human instinct to pursue one's security. It's a part of maturity to not put yourself in harm's way and stand in the middle of the street if you know a car is coming. It's even morally appropriate for this advisor whose job description is probably to look out for David to issue this concern and give this direction. All of that is appropriate. And so when you see security or safety or considering as the foundations of the world seem to be crumbling around us, what should the righteous do? It's understandable that he would say, flee like a bird to the mountains. But here's what I want you to see in the text, because it's a bit unusual, David's response here. is Safety is not just a matter of maturity and wisdom. Safety is not just a matter of a moral uh, range of responsible activity. Safety, ultimately, as the text is speaking, is a matter of faith. It's a matter of faith. 
What's interesting is that David hears the instruction of the advisor here in Psalm 11, and he judges it, he considers it to be out of accord with righteousness. It's out of accord with righteousness. It's not what he should do. He should not flee to the mountains like a bird. He considers it at odds with where it is that he is rooted, what the convictions and settled direction that he has chosen. That's noted there in verse 1, in the Lord I take refuge. And he seems to be drawing a distinction or division between his rooting in the Lord as his refuge and what his advisor is calling him to do. Now there's a number of possible answers as to why David thinks that fleeing in this case is the wrong thing to do. Um, I think probably maybe most probable is the fact that if he is king at this point, part of his responsibility as a king is to be present for the care of his people. How can he abandon his post when his people are under attack or the wicked are coming? This is why he has been made king. He should be in the role even if it means the loss of his own life as a parent would stand in the way of a speeding bullet or car to save the life of their children. So a king who has been called to the care of his people as their representative and advocate should not abandon his post in the moment of need, but indeed should stay in his place. It's possible, but we're not told. Instead, what it seems that David is actually focusing on is that the person who is giving this advice is someone who doesn't know the foundation of peace that comes in faith in the Lord. The focus of this text is not tactical. What one should do. Should one stay? Should one flee? Should one fight? Should one yell? Should one hide under the, the boards, the floorboards of your car? What should someone do? The focus of the text is not tactical. What's the focus of the text? The heart. The heart. Now, why do I say that? Well, if you'll look at what it is that is said. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul? He's speaking to his his heart. He's speaking to the inward drive of his being. He's actually, if you listen to the instructions, seems like he's saying something to his body. Flee! (laughs) Go to the mountains. It's not how David hears it. David receives it as a spoken temptation to his heart, to his soul. Probably in some sense wanting to do what the advisor has said, but knowing that he needs to stay the course in the work that God has called him to do. David, in a very real sense, is pulling back the heart layers And asking us to examine ourselves in this question. Where is it that we find our true safety? Do you feel it's up to you to protect yourself from whatever may come your way? And is your mind all the time racing around, seeing harm under every rock? Worst case scenarios filling your mind. You're flying about with bubble wrap over every decision, movement, and motion that you make. And you think to yourself, I'm petrified that things would go wrong. You don't want to face any pain or suffering or loss. Or is the baseline of your heart resting in peace that Yahweh is your refuge? That His promises are the basis 
for your peace. Knowing that your days and your times are in his hand. That in a very present trouble, though the earth give way, though the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, I will not fear. When God is in the midst of her, we shall not be moved. What's the baseline of your heart? Now hear me on this. I don't want you to think that David is simply saying what you must do in the midst of crisis and the midst of trial and trouble is uh, merely say really strong and important words until you feel them and just stand there and, and do that. There may actually be tactical responses and strategies that you might need to employ to actually Protect yourself and others. I mean, we, have, we had a Technicolor example given to us in downtown Nashville, didn't we, on Christmas morning? As that blaring warning was going out that in 15 minutes a bomb is going to go off, there are people who rushed right towards the heart of danger. Because of why? Their role and responsibility. It's what they have been called to do. And there are people, because it's the right thing to do. And then there are people doing what? Running in the opposite direction. At the same time, people are doing different things. Maybe called to different things. Maybe the moment dictates different responses. And in fact, when we look at the Scriptures, I want you to see that the Scriptures are not in any way saying we should never retreat or ever run. We're almost at Epiphany. We're in the first Sunday of Christmas. You remember the 12 days of Christmas. We get two. Sundays in the midst of the 12 days of Christmas, and then we'll celebrate uh, Epiphany. And in celebration of Epiphany, we remember the three wise men, right? The, the kings that come from the east, who come searching for the child. And you remember, when they came, they, they spoke to Herod. And when they spoke to Herod, uh, Herod heard about this child, this king of the Jews, who's been born among his jurisdiction, and he didn't like it any. Jealousy got a hold of him, and he immediately decided he's going to destroy this child, even if he has to kill every baby in Bethlehem in order to do it. And that's ultimately what he does. And so what happens? Well, an angel of the Lord comes to Joseph. And you know what the angel of the Lord says? Flee! <laughs> Get out of here! Go to Egypt! What do they do? They go to Egypt. They didn't stay there. They didn't fight. They fled. And guess what? When an angel comes and tells you that, you should do it. I'm just going to hey, do that. Like if the angel of the Lord comes, like don't deliberate. Just like go do what the angel of the Lord says. I mean, we have here commanded retreat. It's given to us here in the Bible. It's an one appropriate means that we could use. There may be times to stand strong and fight. There may be times to negotiate and deliberate. There's probably going to be times to do all of those things in the variety of issues that we face even in the day and time in which we live. The point here is that we shouldn't always stay or always run. The point is that we shouldn't just flee to the hills or face the danger. Tactics is not the issue of this. The issue of this is whatever it is we do, we do in faith. We do in faith, not in fear. Not in fear. Now where I want to conclude our time together today... It's just taking a few minutes to look at David's response in verses 4 to 7. 4 to 7. He's really responding to his advisor here. And I want you to see when he's responding to his advisor, you know what he's trying to do for all of us who read the psalm this morning? Stir up our faith. Strengthen our faith. He's helping us see reality. 
the way that it really is. And here, here's the first thing I want you to take away from David's response there in verse 4. Number one, in the midst of crisis, faith remembers who's in charge. That's number one. In crisis, faith remembers who's in charge. That's where it starts. The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord is on His throne in heaven. Now, if you can put this in context, the advisor has said, the foundations are falling apart. The wicked are everywhere. The, 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 the whole Jerusalem and Israel is over. Everything is utterly collapsing. And David's response is, no, it's not. The foundation of God's people is still very much in place. The foundations of God's people aren't the political sphere of a geopolitical nation. They aren't the local authorities. The foundations of all reality is that this morning as we worship the living God, Jesus sits on the throne. God is in his heaven. He will not be moved. Faith remembers who's in charge. Now that moment is not some sort of wishful fly up to heaven. It's a solid embrace and trust in the Lord. We may still flee, but we do so in peace. We may fight, but we do so in peace. We may sit at the table and negotiate, but we do so in peace. Because as we go into that room, as we pick up a sword, as we flee to the mountains, God is on His throne and we're sure of it. Our safety is not our tactic. Our safety is our king. And our king is on the throne and he's on the throne of heaven. Do you remember the final words that Jesus spoke to his disciples in Matthew 28? He's going to send them out into the world. Go therefore into all nations, baptizing and teaching them all that I have commanded to you. Now, I want you to hear that great commission for a second. Then I want you to, to hear this. When he told them those words and they obeyed, he gave to them a death sentence. Every one of those disciples would be martyred. Every one of them. For following God's word. Now that's not something you hear every day. Following God's word could get you killed. It did. It did for the disciples. Not a very safe thing, was it? So what did he say to them before he told them that? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go. That's what he told them. All authority. You have nothing to fear. You're going to have a lot of fearful things thrown at you. You're going to be in jail. You're going to have swords pulled on you. Most of you are going to die for the faith. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Remember who's in charge. That's how faith goes in a crisis. Number two is this. In the midst of a crisis, faith remembers that the one who is in charge is righteous. The one who is in charge is righteous. Notice verse 7. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. God is so kind in His Word because He tells us what it is He loves. Like we know what He loves. We know that He is righteous, and we know that He loves righteousness. So when we see those things which are wicked, 
happening in the world and injustices and unrighteousness proliferates all around us, we know that it can't stand because the one who's in charge is righteous. You see how comforting that is. David is going to tell this to this advisor. He said, I want you to know that the one who is in charge on the throne is righteous. He's not capricious. He doesn't make this stuff up as he goes along. He's not a turncoat. He doesn't change from one day to the next. He's the same every day in the promises of his word. And notice what he says. Not just that he loves the righteous, but that he loves righteous deeds. He's called his people to do righteousness. It, one of the ways that I encourage my own soul in obedience when I don't want to be obedient, <laughs> right? Anybody else struggle with that? When I know I should be obedient and I'm not wanting to be obedient is reminding myself, first of all, of God's love and His care for me. And then, out of love for Him, knowing that He will receive such joy from me doing what it is that He's called me to do. And I want to please him. He's loved me so well. Not out of slavish duty, but out of, out of son and daughter-like delight in a father and a God who has cared for me so well. And when I know he loves righteous deeds, I just want to do righteousness. And I want a heart that wants to do righteousness. It begins to change me. And David here is saying, he loves righteous. He loves righteous deeds. But then notice, he's not morally He's not, he's, not a, he's not a moral relativist. Notice, he hates the wicked and those who do violence. He hates the wicked and those who do violence. David wants us to know that God is not, he, he's not mixed in feeling about what took place Christmas morning in Nashville, Tennessee. He's not mixed in his emotions around it. He hates it. He hates wickedness. He hates violence. I think it's really important for us, and I think it's very hard for us to do this, especially in a day and time where it's not very, well... Um, correct, politically speaking, to speak of such things. But our God is very clear that his, his mission is to eradicate all evil, to build a new heavens and a new earth where nothing is tainted nor destroyed by any wickedness or sin, where righteousness is celebrated at every turn. That's the future that we're headed towards. And that means that he will indeed be removing and bringing to judgment those who are wicked and who love violence. We need to know that. We need to believe his word at face value. He is a righteous God. You see, as a righteous God, he can't merely wink at evil he can't sweep it under the rug. He can't pretend it's not there. That would be unrighteous. His character drives him to deal with the issue of unrighteousness. And he tells us he hates violence. He hates wickedness. Number three, in the midst of crisis, faith remembers that the one who's in charge and righteous is committed to sanctifying his people. Notice what he says. His eyes see, his eyelids test 
the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous. If you found 2020 as a believer in Christ, if you would acknowledge and identify yourself as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting in Him, wanting to follow Him and seeking Him, and you found 2020 to be a test of your patience, a test of your your pocketbook, a test of the relationships within your four walls, the test of your physical health. If you have found a variety of things within this year that have been tests to you, here's what I want you to know. God has been up to sanctifying you. That's been his mission through 2020. If you're a believer in Christ, he doesn't hate you. You've not fallen out with him. He is... He is so loving and righteous towards you that He is going to make you into the beautiful righteousness that is Him. And the way that He's doing that is He's he's sending into your life tests. Because what does tests do? Well, you know, you remember, right? You sit down at a test. As I will sometimes mess with my students in, in this way. God bless them. And I'll ask them before a test, so are you ready? Are you, are you ready for this? Terrible question, right? Because they don't want to say yes. It feels arrogant and, you know, think so, you know, like, well, they don't. But I studied, you know, they don't want to look like they didn't study. You know, just put them in all kinds of mixed emotions in those moments. But they'll say something like, well, I think I am. I, I, think, I'm, I think I'm ready for the test. I'll say something like, we'll see. You're right. That's what a test does. Like, there's no bluffing. In the test. Like you can, you can bluff your way in class in some ways. Not when it comes to the test. What will be revealed is what's there. What happens when you're put through a test is what re- what's revealed is what's here. It comes to the top of us. And you know what God wants to do in that? He wants to root it out of you. The sin and the idolatry. And all of the things that you would say, those aren't my foundations. And then when they were shook, you're like, okay, maybe they are. And he says, yeah, that's why I'm shaking them. Because I want you to take your, my, your refuge in me. I want you to take your refuge in me. I want to kick, as it were, the earthly stool out from under you. Not as an act of unkindness or unlove, but as a supreme act of kindness and love. I don't want you hoping in things that will fail you. What if I never told you that? What if I let you go through your life trusting in the things that will constantly fail you? The bottom of your basket constantly falling apart. What if I didn't show you ahead of time that that was going to happen so I could woo you unto me? That would be the height of hatred. But I'm destroying the things that you have trusted in the end falsely so that I can chase you, as it were, into trusting in me, which will never fail you. In the Lord I have taken refuge, David says. He is committed to sanctifying his people. You see, that's why James can write, count it all joy, right? When you experience various trials, because trials create perseverance, he says, steadfastness. Steadfastness over time makes us complete and perfect. And fourthly and finally, in the midst of crisis, when we know who's in charge, we know that he's righteous, we know his relationship to us is one of sanctifying us and readying us, in the midst of crisis, faith remembers how it all ends. 
Faith remembers how it all ends. Now notice what he says here, a really hard word to the wicked. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. He wants you to know that the end of the wicked is not sustainable. He warns us. He takes a picture here of end times judgment. And he pulls it into the passage. It's a glimmer of Sodom and Gomorrah. And it's a warning of kindness. If you're given to wicked and violence, you won't be sustained. Scorching wind and sulfur's coming. Judgment. But this is what he says to the righteous. To those who've taken their refuge in the Lord. They shall see his face. The upright shall see his face. I was thinking this morning, it must be the most frightening reality for the wicked to see the face of God. There's nothing I long for more. Isn't that true for you, believer in Christ? There's nothing you want more than to see the face of God. To see the one in whom you have rested and trusted and given your whole life to. And you, as, as the whole of life has continued to fail you and you've seen its weakness and its instability and its foundations give way. You want a strong place in which to stand and you learn it is the rock who is Christ. And he has a face that looks at you with a beloved smile and embrace. The welcome of the gospel. You know, is headed your way. And there's nothing more than you want than just to see and behold his face. And to know as you are known. To be like as he is. Fullness in all of that righteousness. Do you see? The scriptures are right. Perfect love casts out fear. See, that really is how you can have that hope at the end of this text. You know, Moses didn't see the face of God. Why should David think that he's going to see the the face of God? Where's his hope and rest in that? Well, he's looking at the promises of salvation. He's looking at where this is headed. The Lord, by faith, has given him insight. And he knows that there is one for those who are righteous who is going to receive for his people a scorching wind. Sulfur from heaven. Fire is going to rain down upon him. And he's going to do it on the cross for his people. Do You see, you shouldn't ever in any way feel yourself to be privileged as if you had done something to merit or earn favor with God to not be identified here in this text among those who are wicked. No, those who are wicked and those who are righteous in this text have nothing to do with the character of actually, the, ultimately, the people themselves. It has to do with the grace of the God who saves. You see, He is the one who took on the sulfur and the fire and the scorching wind for you on the cross if you trusted in Him. It's not that you, you don't receive just, judgment. It's that God received judgment in Christ for you. We need that shield. We need that refuge to be in. To climb up and be nestled into the protection of the one who loves us. You see, it's that great love that's protected us. And I pray it would be your heart, even as you hear, as you see the world around us, that you would not become increasingly angry just merely at the world not being the way you wished it was. 
but your heart would be increasingly broken for all the people who do not know the good news of what we are sharing in today. Our God delays in coming because He is patient so that none would perish but that all would come to eternal life. That end which was our hope and is our trust should also be our motivation to be on mission for our God in our time. These days are going to be challenging, no doubt. There are going to be trials and difficulties that we all will pass through in a variety of different ways. We don't know what all that they will be, but I imagine they'll be common to many of the ones that we've seen throughout history. I dare say we'll be a vast exception. Which means that it might become increasingly difficult in some ways to make known Christ safely. Which is why we're going to need to take safety and refuge in the Lord. In the Lord. Safety is important. But it's not all important. Not in this earthly plane. Eternal safety in the world that's to come. It's what's more important. May the Lord stir our hearts to such degree that we're concerned not just about each other's physical safety as much as we should be. It's responsible for us to be. But that we would be more concerned about people's eternity. More concerned about people's eternity and those who are around us. The Lord lay that upon our hearts, a burden, a holy burden on our hearts. That He might use us as men and women who open up our lips to share the good news of the gospel. May 2021 be as God has willed it to be. And may it be for us one in which we take and embrace the responsibility of sharing the gospel in a way we never have before. So that faithfulness and fruitfulness marks the work of His church in a way beyond we would scarcely imagine. Hear God's Word and let's together receive it by faith. Father in heaven, we would ask even now that You would help the sobriety of that challenge To to not escape us too quickly. It is difficult for us to stay in a space where we have to think eternally about the future judgment of those around us and maybe even those of whom we love and our responsibility to share the gospel and to know that Lest you build the house, we will labor in vain. With us, it's impossible, but with you, all things are possible. Lord, would you help us with faith and with hope and with eager responsibility? Care for the eternal well-being of everyone who's around us. And you would increase that burden among us. Not that it would crush us, but that it it would free us. Free us into the work of ministry. Lord, if you don't do it, it's not going to happen. And yet you say to us, I use the preaching and the teaching of my people 
as a means by which to accomplish it. Lord, let us believe that. As we take refuge in you, let us pray that your kingdom would grow and increasingly it would move from heaven to earth in 2021 and we'd witness it as we embrace the call you have placed upon us. Lord, meet us in these words and lead us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.